Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah classes, and thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to follow and to share with others so they too can enjoy the Torah classes on this podcast. Now, on to the episode. Okay, let's get started. We are holding, today's daf is daf Mem Zayin, in Seches Gittin, 47. We are starting the bottom of Mem Vav Mud Gavra, the second to last line on the page. Just, uh, we're going to have three sections in today's daf. First section um, deals with the continued discussion of the halachas and bring some stories regarding someone who sells himself to a guy multiple times, how he loses the, uh, the benefit of us having to redeem him. Basically, he really forfeits that natural benefit. The second point is going to discuss imachlokis. Very interesting debate here. If a goy purchases land in Eretz Yisrael, does it remove the natural kedusha sa'aret, the natural sanctity of the land regarding maestras bikurim? We'll discuss that. And then the third section is imachlokis as well. If you own the benefits to enjoy the fruits of the land in Israel, does that make you the owner of the land or not? And this will tie into regarding mikra bikurim. We'll see when you bring bikurim to the base on mikdash, there's a certain um, parsha you're supposed to say if you're a land owner. So that'll be a machlokis as well. So let's get started. The second to last line of the page, ahu gavra. Now, <coughs> the Gemara here is talking about a takana that Chazal made. If there's a person who sells himself to a guy multiple times and he has a track record already, we will not redeem him. It's too bad. And we won't even redeem his kids. It means if he sells himself and his kids, which is unfortunate, just because we're concerned that he'll continue to sell them after for whatever benefit that affords him. In addition, as we'll explain on Amud Aleph, Zayin Amud Aleph, the issue is we don't want the kids to be around Goyim to be influenced by them. But if the father's still around, so we're not concerned that they'll be influenced by the Goyim. After the father dies, then we'll redeem the kids because the father won't continue this negative cycle. So let's see, second to last line on the page. The Gemara tells us a story that supports this psak. There was a person, it's a crazy story, the Gemara talks about everything. There was a guy who sold himself, a Jew sold himself to Ludoi. Rashi says Ludoi is a nation, is Ludim, I guess, that they eat people. This is a cannibalistic nation, Rashi says. So So this fellow came in front of Rabbi Ami, and look, he said, I sold myself to a guy, and he's going to eat me, literally eat me. So redeem me. So Amar Lei, if, uh, so he said to Rabbi Ami, Amar Lei, turning to Mabzayin Amad Aleph, Pirkan, redeem me, meaning rede- redeem me because I'm, I'm going to die. So Amar, so Rabbi, Rabbi Ami responded to this fellow, you know, the Mishnah is in support of you, because the Mishnah says, Tanan, the Mishnah teaches, Somebody that sells himself and his children to Goyim, so we don't redeem him, because if he has a track record, we don't want to uh, engage in that, in that cycle. But we would redeem the children, and the Mishnah finishes off, after their father has passed away. Now, why do we redeem the children after the father passes away? The reason we redeem the children after the father passes away is because of 
the damage, because of the influence that will occur when the children are around Goyim after the fact. Rashi explains, when the father's alive, we're not so concerned about that because he'll protect them from negative influences. So the Gemara says, but what do you see? The influence that the children will have by the Goyim is so negative that we'll redeem the children after the father's passed away. We're just holding the top of Mem Zayin and Aleph. Third line. Vikol Shekin, and the Gemara says, certainly, Hacha, in regards to this case where the guy sold to a cannibal, De'ika Kitala, there's death, the guy's going to die, so certainly that's a worse kilkel than being influenced by a guy, so I have a responsibility to redeem him. So Amr the Rabbanan, the Rabbi Ami, the Rabbanan said, it's a good cheshman, by the way, the Mepharshim speak out, even though he had sold himself multiple times, so he had developed this track record. At the end of the day, Rabbi Ami was saying, you know, the kilkel of being eaten is probably worse than the kilkel of being somewhat influenced. So therefore, I'm going to redeem this guy because he's deserved of it. So Amr the Rabbanan, the Rabbi Ami, the Rabbanan turned to Rabbi Ami and they said to him, Ha Yisrael Mumarhu, wait a second. This guy who sold himself to the Ludai, he's a Yisrael Mumer. Now, Yisrael Mumer is a rebellious Jew, denies certain parts of the Torah, etc. And Rashi says, when it comes to a Mumer, we know a Mumer Lahachis, someone that uh, denies parts of the Torah Lahachis, meaning just to anger HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to anger Hashem, it's actually Allah is Moridin Velomaalin, is if he's in a dangerous situation, we keep him there. We don't assist him to get out. So, therefore, in this situation, you don't have a mitzvah to redeem this guy. Leave him be. How do we know this? Because we see he's going and he's eating at McDonald's. So, if he's eating at McDonald's, he's a Yisrael Mumer, and therefore, we don't have a mitzvah to redeem him. So Amr Lehu Rabbi Ami said to them, wait a second, there's two kinds of mummer. There's a mummer l'te'avon and there's a mummer l'hachis. Now, a mummer l'hachis, somebody that is outright just to anger HaKadosh Baruch Hu, yeah, there, there is such a rule, marid and velo ma'alin, that you push him down, you don't uh, cause him to help him get out of a dangerous situation. But a mummer l'te'avon, somebody that it's, it's for his own taiva, he just he has, you know, he was chapped by a desire, the, the McDonald's looked good. That's a different story. There you do have to redeem him. We're not talking about ignorance. We're talking about te'avon. Te'avon means where he d- desires something. So in such a situation, you do have a mitzvah to redeem him. You know, he just has taiva. Who could say that they don't have taiva? Meaning, but Lemaisa, there you would have a mitzvah to redeem him. So, Amr Lahus, or Ami said to them, Maybe he's just eating nevelos and trefus out of desire, but not lahachis, not to anger Hashem. Amr Lahus, the Rabbanan said, No, actually, we know it's just to anger Hashem. Because there were times that we saw that there was kosher food and not kosher food in front of him. And he left aside the kosher food, and he specifically ate the treif. So, you see, clearly, this is, this is not l'tayavon. So, Amr Lahus, Rabbi Ami said to the, 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 this fellow, Zil, go away. They're not letting me redeem you, meaning the point is, I don't have the option to redeem you based on the fact that you're Yisrael Mumer Lahachis. I actually don't have a mitzvah, I can't redeem you. And uh, I don't know how the story ended. Maybe he turned into McDonald's. I'm not sure exactly what ended up happening. Bottom line, it didn't turn out well. What's that? He was going to the bathroom. What does that someone, mean? If you see someone going to McDonald's, uh, oh, he's going to the bathroom. <laughs> 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 You're yeah. done like I was close to this guy. <laughs> uh, they said they saw him eating it, though, so that's a different story. Now, let's go on to the next story. Now, Because he ate a McDonald's, I hear. It could be. All right, now the Gemara tells us another story that happened with these cannibals. I guess these guys were relatively famous. So the Gemara tells us, Reish Lakish, Reish Lakish we know, 
before he became the great uh, Amora Reish Lakish, the brother-in-law of Rabbi Yochanan, one of the, I mean, he's probably one of the most often quoted Amoraim in the Gemara, he was the leader of the bandits, and he was considered a very powerful person. You know the whole story. And, uh, right, and then eventually he became the great Amora and the brother-in-law and the Bar Plukta, the partner of Rabbi Yochanan. So this Reish Lakish, uh, it, the, the Mepharshim speak out over here, this was before he became the great Reish Lakish. He was this powerful bandit, and he didn't like these people, these cannibals. He didn't like what they were doing. I guess he was always a... a, a he was always, you know, seeking justice. So what he wanted to do was to take, to, to punish these people. He wanted to, right. So the Gemara tells us, Reish Lakish zavin nafshe He sold himself to these uh, cannibals. And he, he had a plan to kill them, so let's see. He took with him a sack, and Galgalta, Rashi learns it's either a, like a ball out of a, a stone or a ball out of lead, some sort of a hard, uh, round item inside of the sack, which they didn't realize. Now he took, he had a plan. What was his plan? Omar, so he said like this, Gemiri, these people, these cannibals, you know, they eat people, but they still have standards. So they have a tradition, the Yoma Basra, that the last day, meaning the day they're going to kill the person, kol devay minayu, whatever the person requests, avdile, they do for him. It's like, you know, what's their last, uh, last it's like the last meal, basically. That's what it is. Ki hechi de This literally means, in order, either it means to atone for his blood, meaning that the person, this is like, in their minds it validates it, or the aruch on the side explains it means it sweetens his blood. Apparently it tastes better when you give him his last uh, will. Last uh, request. So Yoma Basra, so he said, what happened was in this story, the last day, they said to Reish Lakish, they're gonna, we're going to eat you today, so what do you want before we eat you? So Amr said to them, I want to tie each one of you cannibals up and sit you down. That didn't sound too bad. But then he said, And he showed them yet a sack. Now, they didn't realize there was anything inside of it. You know, they didn't do too much of a check, obviously. But the point is, he said, I want to hit each one of you one and a half hits with this sack. Now, they thought nothing of it. They thought this was some foolish business. So, he tied them up and sat them down. And each one of them, when he hit them, one strike, literally means their, their neshama left them. But they almost killed them. That's the point. Is this? He hit them with, imagine he hit them with a big rock. They didn't realize that was what's going to happen. So they almost died. So they clenched their teeth because they were in pain. So Rishlaki said, are you laughing at me? It looks like you're... you're, you're, you're uh, grinning, grinning, or grimace, but really it was a grimace, obviously. I still have one, uh, one half of a hit by you, meaning I still could strike you another half time, and Katzlin Kulu, he ended up killing all of them, and he left. The point is, is this was his uh, strategy to wipe out these cannibals. I guess he didn't like this. He was seeking justice. The Gemara just finishes off with a story about Rish Lakish once we're discussing him and says, every day Rish Lakish had, he had it. This was his approach in life, as we'll see in a moment. And I'm not sure he believed in life insurance. The Gemara tells us here. Yosef Ka'achli, Ka'achil Vishasi, every day Rish Lakish used to eat and drink, and he would enjoy the money that he had without being concerned about tomorrow. That's, that's, that's what he said. Very interesting. He had a Moon Hashem would take care of him. 
And uh, this is what he would do. Now, I, I'm not necessarily every person has to do this, but this was Rish Lakish's mentality. So Amrile Barte, his daughter, said to him, Don't you want something to recline on tomorrow, to rely on tomorrow? It means you're eating and drinking everything that you have. What, what about tomorrow? What's going to be? So Amrile said to her, my, my stomach is my pillow. Meaning, I have what I need. Hashem will take care of me. I'm not concerned about tomorrow. And the Gemara says, Kinach nafshu, when Rish Lakish ended up dying, Shava kava de morika. All he left over was one kava of saffron. So saffron, I think, was expensive, but the point is that was all he left over. And even on that, kara nafshei, he called about that, meaning he said, I wish I wouldn't have even left over one kava of saffron. I'd rather leave over nothing because it says in Tilim, Fa'azvul acherim chelam, that they leave over for others their might. Meaning he said is, I, I wish I could have enjoyed everything that I had and not left over anything. Now what you take away from this story is a very interesting thing. I guess Rish Lakish was on a level where he didn't have to worry necessarily about the next day because he knew Hashem would take care of him. In terms of Yerusha, that's a different story. I don't know. That's a good shaila. I'm not sure what the story is. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently he wasn't going to. Maybe he had wealthy sons-in-law. He took care of his daughters. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what the, what the uh, anyways, yeah. says she literally named the mattress though. Let's move on to the second section here. So now the commissioner tells us like this. It's a very interesting debate we're going to have now. You have a field in Eretz Yisrael and you sell it to a guy. Okay, so now you've sold it to a guy and the machlokas we're going to have, you're not allowed to, by the way, it's Osir. Lo Sechanim, the Torah says, you're not allowed to give goyim dwelling in Eretz Yisrael, it's Osir. Somebody did, fine. So now, does the land forfeit its status of Kedusha or not? So what's the nafkamina? The guy goes and works the land and develops produce and, and then harvests. Now that produce that he developed and harvested, does it have a chiyuv of maestros? Now he's not going to take off maestros. But what about if a Jew purchases that produce from him? The does the purchaser have to take off maestros from that produce? That's going to be a Shiloh we'll discuss now in the Gemara. Well, that's a different story we'll get to in Bikurim. We'll see. But in terms of maestros, if I purchase... Le- that produce that that guy grew from the land, if the guy removes the status of kedusha with his ownership, so then I, as the per- the new, I, I come, I, you know, he has a stand, he's selling grains. Yeah. I, as a Jew, purchased from, I'd have to take off Meiser if he now. does. It's an issue now in Israel. This theoretically would occur. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's see. It says but the Mishnah. But what, did, but what did the sale not hold if a Jew sold it to a non-Jew for the second Yasser? Lavdafka, meaning if as long as it went through with formal transactions, Lachar it does, even yeah. though it's Usr. Yeah, Lachar. Now we're going to first discuss Bikurim, and then we'll discuss, we'll see Meister in the Gemara. It says the, it says the Mishnah, Somebody who sells his field to a guy. So the Chachamim made a Takana, and they said like this, because we don't want you selling your fields to a guy in Eretz Yisrael, every year, you as the Jew who sold to the guy are responsible to go and purchase Bikurim from that field and bring that Bikurim to Yerushalayim. Now, why did they do this? So Rashi explains there was a two-step thought process here. One is that Jews shouldn't be accustomed to selling their fields to Goyim and Eretz Yisrael. So this is a good, it's like a knas, basically. Is you should know every year you're going to have to go and purchase Bikurim from him to bring to Yerushalayim. And the other is, in that if he has already sold, so he'll have to, maybe he'll, you know, he'll say, okay, fine, I did the wrong, I've done the wrong thing, and I'll go through the effort to try to purchase the field back. That's the idea. Because of Tikkun Olam. And Rashi explains this far as there. Now we have Machlokas in the Gemara, and the reason we're bringing this in is because the fourth proof to one of the sides is going to be our Mishnah. 
You sell your field to a Goyen Eretz Yisrael, does it forfeit Kedusha Sa'aretz or does it not? Nafgamina is, is there still a Kedusha of Meiser invested in that produce? Amar Rabba, Rabba is the first opinion, he says like this, Afalpi, even though She'ein Kinyin Lo'ovit Kuchavim Be'eretz Yisrael Afgia Midei Meiser. So he says, even though there is no acquisition for a Goy in Eretz Yisrael to remove Meiser, which means when the Goy purchases from the Jew, he does not claim ownership to remove Kedushas Meiser, which means when the Goy grows produce in Eretz Yisrael, that produce is still Chayv in Meiser. If I go and buy grains from him, I have to take off Meisers. Even though that he doesn't have that kind of ownership, Shanamar, as the Pasuk tells us, Ki li ha'aretz. The Pasuk says, for me is the land. Hashem says, li kedusha sa'aretz. I always retain kedusha sa'aretz, meaning Meisers kedusha is never removed, and therefore, even though the Goy owns it, the Goy works the land and, and grows and harvests and all of that, Meisers is still effective. But what does the guy acquire the land for? To dig in the land uh, ditches, wells, and caverns. Meaning, he just owns it in terms of working the land if he'd like to, but it does not remove Kedusha Sa'aretz from it, and there still would be a Chiyuv of Meiser should a Jew buy that produce from him. Shanamar, how do we know this? Because the Pasuk says, The heaven is to Hashem, says in Tehillim, and the earth is given to Bnei Adam for whatever they want. So for whatever they want. If the guy wants to purchase, he can utilize it, but it doesn't remove the Kedusha, and therefore if a Jew purchases that grains from him or produce from him, he has to take off Maestros. That's Rabbah's opinion. Rabbi says the opposite. He says, The guy who purchases from the Jew does remove the status of Kedusha, and therefore there's no Chiyuv of Maestros anymore. Shin Emer, as it says, because the Pasuk says regarding Maestros, your grains are Chayav in Maestros. Not the grains that are owned by Goyim. If Goyim owned the land of Eretz Yisrael, they produce grains, it's not Chayav in Maestros, says Rabbi Lazar. But he does not have an acquisition to dig holes, cisterns, and uh, ditches. The point is, is that Rebbe Lazar holds the opposite. He says, actually, when a guy purchases land, it does remove, it, it, uh, it uh, excuse me, it, uh, yeah, it does remove the status of Kedusha, and therefore there would be no Chiyuv of Meister anymore, even if a Jew would purchase those grains from him later. Now, how does he know the Shinemar? La Hashem Aretz. Because the Pasuk says Hashem owns the land, and therefore the guy can't actually dig in the land, but any grains that he produces wouldn't have Kedusha's Meister. So what's the basis of debate? Between Rabbi Lazar and Rabbah. So Marsav, Rabbi Lazar holds, as we explained. Rabbi Lazar holds that the Pasuk tells us, it's only your grains that are in Meiser, but not if the grains are produced by Goyim owning the land. If they own the land, then there's no Chiyuv of Meiser because they remove the Kedusha in the land. Marsav, Rabbah holds that the Pasuk of Digoncha is to be interpreted otherwise, which is Diguncha. If you smooth it out, not if a guy smooths it out. Now, what does that mean? What that means is, is that when you, a farmer in Eretz Yisrael, when he would harvest and go through the entire process of uh, processing the grains, 
it's the end of the process when they would smooth out the grains. That's when it would be chayev and trumas and maestras. If a goy finished the process, if that's what ended up happening and he owned it at that time, then it would be exempted from trumas and maestras. But not if necessarily if he owned the land. Even if he owned the land and then a Jew purchased the unprocessed grains from him and the Jew smoothed it out, says Rabbah, it would actually be chayev and trumas and maestras. The only thing is who is the owner and smooths it out? Who does the final uh, step in the procedure of the process of grains? That's going to be the nafkamina. So says Rabbah, therefore really, he can't own the land in order to remove it from Meiser. The only shaila is who owns the grains when it's smoothed out. If the Jew owns it then, and the Jew does that, so then he'll be chayav in Trumas and Meisers. If the guy does, then he's not going to be. Okay, bottom line is we have a machlekes here. According to Rabbah, that a guy cannot own land in Eretz Yisrael to remove it from the status of Meister. And it still retains that. So if a Jew purchases from him, he'll be chayv to take off Meisters. Rabbi says, And therefore, if a guy owns land in Eretz Yisrael, it's no longer chayv in Meisters. So Rabbi, we're going to have four proofs. Rabbi's going to try to bring a proof to himself first. How do I know that when a guy owns land, it does not remove the Kedusha Sa'aretz? The Mishnah Maseches Peah teaches as follows. Haleket v'ashikcha v'apeah. Leket, shikcha, and peah are the different parts of a Jew's field he has to leave for the poor people. Leket are the individual stocks. Shikcha is the bundles that were forgotten or left behind. V'apeah in the corners of the field. Now the Mishnah there is talking, shall oved kochavim. So if they're the matnosanim, the gifts of the poor, but they belong to the guy. And we're going to have to clarify what it means they belong to the guy because generally these things are given by Jews to Jews, not to Goyim. So we'll have to see what this means. Chayavin b'maiser, nonetheless, they are chayav in maiser. Now the general rule is, anything that's considered matnos aniyim, gifts to the poor, are exempt from maiser. Meaning when, a, when a, a Jew goes and collects peya from somebody else's field, he doesn't have to take maiser off of that. It's considered ownerless, and since it's ownerless, it's exempted in maiser. So the Mishnah here says, leket shikha and peya of a guy are chayav in maiser. Unless the owner made it hefker. So we have to analyze this mission to understand what that means exactly. So what's the case of here, says Rabbi? If it was originally owned by a Jew. So a Jew set aside and then a guy collected it. Means a guy went and collected that peya and then the guy sold it to another Jew. So in such a scenario, I don't understand. Then the interpretation would be that the Jew who purchased it, the second Jew who purchased it from the guy who had collected it from the Jew's field, that's the case. The implication would be the second Jew who purchased it would be chayef to take off maestras. Unless if the original owner had declared it hefker. Says, why does he have to declare it hefker? Once he makes it like at Shikhopeya, it is ownerless. So why would the second Jew have to take off Meiser unless the first owner specifically declared it ownerless? By making it like at Shikhopeya, it is ownerless. Elolav, so the Gemara says it must be. The Ovet Kochavim, it must be. We're talking about a case. A guy owned land in Eretz Yisrael. He set aside Leket Shikhope. He looked at his neighbors, the Schwartzes and the uh, Silversteins on each side of him. They were taking off Leket Shikhope. You know, this is a nice uh, human rights thing. I don't know, this is a, not human rights. Uh, I don't know, whatever. Anyways, this benefits the world. Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam. So he starts setting aside also. A Jew picks that up. And what does the Mishnah therefore say? A Jew comes and collects that from the field of the guy. So Taima, now it comes out like this. 
Taima dehifkir. The reason that the Jew would not be chayef to take off uh, maestros from it is specifically if the guy said it's hefker. If he specifically declared it hefker, not just setting it aside. Hello, hefker. But if he would not have declared it hefker and he just set aside leket shechopeya, chayev. You see that the Jew would be chayev in trumas and maestros. So says Rabba, what do you see? You see, obviously, the ownership of the guy in Eretz Yisrael does not remove the chayev of maestros. Because if it did remove the chayev of maestros and the Jew picks it up from his field, why is he chayev to take off Meister. Must be that the guy doesn't own the land to remove it from Meisters. So more refutes the Rai, and the Gemara says, no, lo. Refutes it. says, Olam di Israel. Really, it could be that the Jew was, really, the land was originally owned by a Jew. And the Jew set aside Leket Shechopeya. Viliktinu Ovid Kochavim. And then a guy came and collected that Leket Shechopeya, and he sold it to a second Jew. And your problem was, you asked, why is it that in order to remove the chiv of Maestras, the original Jew has to declare it Hefker. The answer to that is because Nehi de Mafkari died to the Israel. It's true the original Jew, when he set it aside as like a Chichopeya, he put it aside. But he only put it aside for Jews. His intention was, this is leket shecha upeya for Jews. But did he put it aside for Goyim to collect? So once the guy collects it, it's not going to be exempted anymore in leket shecha unless In Maestras, excuse me. Unless he specifically declared, and that's how we interpret, unless he's mafkir. What do you mean unless he's mafkir? Unless he says, even if a guy collects it, it's still considered hefker. Then it won't be chayev across the board. But if he didn't do that, so then we'll assume it's not going to be to be exempt in Jumas and Maestras unless he declared it that way if a guy would pick it up. So therefore that proof is refuted. Let's go to the second proof. Tashma. Now let's bring a proof to Rabbi Lazar. The Brayza teaches as follows. Yisrael shalakach sadame A Jew purchased land from a guy. Ad The Gemara Shoshanah teaches us that the, in terms of uh, grains, grapes, and olives, what point would it be considered um, so it's when it produces a third of its growth. Now I just want to explain what that means. The, the, the Brysa here is going to explain as follows. If there was a field that was owned by a guy and then owned by a Jew, means it was purchased from one to the other. So whoever owns it at the time when it grows a third of its growth, a third of its growth, that's what the Gemara Shoshana says, is the crucial juncture for a chiyav in Meisters. If it was owned by a guy at that time, it's not chiyav in Shumas and Meisters. If it was owned at a, at, by a Jew at the time that it grew a third of its growth, it will be chiyav in Shumas and Meisters. So it says over there, Tashma Yisrael shalakach sadam me'ovikachavim a Jew bought a field from a guy, ad before it grew a third of its growth, the v'chazru macharalo, and then he sold it to a different guy or to the same guy. He sold it back. Mishay after it had grown a third of its growth. So the Mishnah, the, the Brisa says, it is chayevin meiser, which means to say, if that guy who the Jew had sold it back to goes and sells grains to a Jew, another Jew, it is chayevin meiser. Shekfarn is chayva, because since it was owned by a Jew at the time that it grew a third of its growth, it was chayevin meiser, like normative produce in Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, if a Jew had purchased from the guy in the story, as we explained, he'd be chayev to take off trumas and maestras. So the Gemara says, Neschayva in. It's only going to be chayev and maestras because at the time that it grew a third, it was in the hands of a Jew. But lo neschayva, meaning if it was in the hands of the guy at the time that it grew a third, it would not be chayev. Lo. It seems like it would not be chayev in trumas and maestras. Well, why is that? You see, obviously, the ownership of a guy in Eretz Yisrael removes kedushas, trumas, and maestras. So you see, yesh kenyan, lo'ivit kachavim, be'eretz Yisrael, af gemide maestras. It's a proof to 
Mr. Abelazar. So the more refutes this and says, no, Hachabamaskina This Bryce is talking about a specific location called Surya. Surya, I think some people translate it as Syria. I'm not sure necessarily, but Surya was a land that David HaMelech added on to Eretz Yisrael after already the main areas of Eretz Yisrael being conquered. And this is considered Kivush Yachid. Kivush Yachid means an individual's conquest. It wasn't conquered by the entire Jewish nation for the entire Jewish nation, but rather David added it on after as an individual to take taxes from them. Now there's a major machlokas throughout Shas. We talk about how Surya is not necessarily in certain regards considered like mainland Eretz Yisrael. It is considered, but this Shita held... Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, exactly. So this sheet holds Vikasavar, Kivush Yochid Loshme Kivush, that the individual's conquest is not considered a conquest, which means on a Daraisa level, there's no Chiv of Trumas and Maestras in Surya. So therefore, Rabbah says, there I would agree with you that if a Goy would own it at the time that it produces a third, it wouldn't be Chiv and Trumas and Maestras. Why? Because really it's only Chiv and rabbinic level, anyways. So there I would agree, Yesh Kenyan, that you can uproot Trumas and Maestras by being owned by a Goy. But mainland Eretz Yisrael, it's not necessarily true. Tashmash bring another proof, the third raya. If a Jew and a guy owned a field in Eretz Yisrael in partnership, turning to Mem Zion with Beis, in Eretz Yisrael. So the, the Tanakama, which is Rebbe, he holds Tevel Vechulin Me'uravin Zeboza, Divrei Rebbe. That field, whatever grains it produces, is considered a mixture of Tevel and Chulin together. So Rashi explains what that means is like this. Let's say after the fact, the, the Jew and the guy own this land, they split up the grains that are produced from it. Now what ends up happening is, as Rashi explains, the Tanakama holds Ein Brera. So you can't say that there's a natural separation, that we look at it as whatever the Jew owns is Chayav and Trumas and Maestras, whatever the Goy owns is not, is just Chulin. And therefore what ends up happening is whatever that Goy owns is like a mixture of Tevel and Chulin. And if he goes and sells to another Jew, he'll have to figure out how to take off Trumas and Maestras. And what the Jew owns is also a mixture of Tevel and Chulin. And therefore Rashi explains there's a unique halacha. Usually you could take Trumas and Maestras from one grains on another grains. Here you can't because because the original grains that you're dealing with here is a mixture of Tevel and Chulin, so you'll have to take off Trumas and Maestras from those grains itself to exempt the status of themselves. The point is, Rebbe says there's a mixture of Tevel and Chulin together. Rameshim and Gamliel Omer, so the second Tana says, Shel Ovid Kochavim Pater, so he holds Yesh Brero. We could make, there is a retroactive clarification. So we could look at it as separate entities. The guy's grains is Pater, is exempted in Trumas and Maestras. Vishal Yisrael Chayev. And the Jews is considered Chayev. That's the end of the Raisa. Now, Adkan lo pligi ela de mar saber yesh breiro, mar saber ein breiro. Clearly, the debate between them is if we say there is or there's not retroactive clarification. Avo de kuli alma yesh kinin lo vikachavim eretz Yisrael, lafkia miad maiser. But you see, they both agree if the guy owns land in eretz Yisrael, there is a chiv of trumas and maisters. Because if there wasn't, then there wouldn't be any discussion about the guy's grains being chayav in trumas and maisters. It must be he could own land in eretz Yisrael to remove trumas and maisters. And being that that's the case, it's a raya trebelazer. So the Gemara says you could say the same refutation for the la as we said before. We're talking about in Surya, where the Trumas and Maestras is only Mita Rabbanan, because he holds that the individual's conquest is not considered a conquest, therefore it's only Chai Mita Rabbanan. There, Rabba would agree that if somebody, a guy owns it, it removes Trumas and Maestras, but in Eretz Yisrael, not necessarily so. Let's go to the last proof now. Let's bring a proof, uh, fourth proof to Rabbi Lazar. And the Mishnah tells us as follows. 
Hamocher Sadeu, this is our mission, and now we're going to tie back into our mission. That's why I brought this whole sugya in. Hamocher Sadeu Lovit Kochav, and someone who sells his field to a guy, Bikurim Tikuna So the halacha is if he sells his field to a guy in Eretz Yisrael, which is the wrong thing to do, Chachamim said to him, he is to purchase every year Bikurim and bring it to the Beit Yerushalayim, to the Beis Hamikdash, Mepnei Tikuna Oilam, because of Tikuna uh, Oilam. So the Gemara says, what do you see? Mepnei Tikuna Oilam in. The reason he has to purchase Bikurim is only because of Tikuna but me it doesn't sound like he has to on a da'araisa level. By definition, tikkun olam means rabbinically. So it sounds like da'araisa he does not have to. Now speaks out Rashi over here. He says, according to Rabbah, however, what would be the halacha? The halacha should be, according to Rabbah, that it, since you old ain kinyan la'ovit kachavim, that there's no acquisition of a guy in Eretz Yisrael, that means that that land that's producing grain is still chayiv and bikurim. Now, you as the, that means you're considered the primary owner of the land. It's like you're giving the guy a mashkon to some degree. It's like a collateral. You should have a chiv on the Torah level to take off Bikurim as you're considered the primary owner. Must be, we're saying, that really the guy has the ability to acquire land in Eretz Yisrael to remove it from Bikurim. And that's why it's only Tikkun Olam that requires you to take Bikurim. So as, like we said, people don't sell their land, they'll purchase it back, etc. Now Rashi does speak out, I'm not going to get too much into it, but he says, regards to Meiser, it's not such a question. Because regarding Meiser, it's only if you want to benefit from your grains that you have to take off Meister before he could benefit. That's not necessarily the landowner as much as the one who's going to benefit from it. But Bikurim is the landowner. You as the landowner, according to Rab, will be high on a Daraisa level. Some Ravashi, Ravashi explains it's not a proof against Rabba. Because Shtei Takanos Havu, really there were two Takanos. Let's see. Meikara, now really, according to Rabba, you'd be chayiv on a daraisa level. That's true. But what the rabbi said was, if we require you on a daraisa level, as we're about to see, it's going to create an issue. So they said, Sheval Tasa, don't take off Bikurim. Now let's explain. Meikara havumaisi mi daraisa. Originally, what happened was, Jews who would sell land to Goyim and Eretz Yisrael would continue to take off Bikurim because that's the chayiv on a daraisa level, according to Rabba. But then the Chachamim saw that the Jews were occasionally selling the land to Gayim, and then they would continue to take off Bikurim. The Savri, because they assume, we haven't done anything wrong, because it retains its Kedusha, and we're bringing Bikurim every year. But you have done something wrong, because it's an Isra of Losachanim. You're not allowed to sell land to Gayim in Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, what did the Rabbanan do to show the Jews that they had done something wrong? So the first takana was, They said, if you sell your land to Goyim, you do not take off Bikurim. Now what did they assume that would send, what message would that send? If you've sold it, you've done something wrong. It's not yours, but really it is yours. That's the point. Because according to Rabbah, it doesn't, it, you can't undo your ownership. But then they saw that somebody who didn't have money would still sell his land in Eretz Yisrael. They realized withholding the Bikurim, not allowing the Jew to bring Bikurim, wasn't accomplishing anything. Anyways, the land was just remaining in the hands of Goyim. So then, they made a second Takana to reestablish it on the Daraisa status, which is the so that they should bring Bikurim. But meaning the second Takana to bring Bikurim when you sell the land to a guy is really just reestablishing the Daraisa requirement according to Rabbah, and therefore, you don't have a proof from here necessarily against Rabbah. Rather, it, uh, could, it, it could be like Rabbah as well. Okay, let's, let's try to go through this quickly. But the third point of the day here we're going to discuss is when a person owns the rights to fruits in Eretz Yisrael, is that considered owning the land or not? The nafkamina is, is that when you bring Bikurim into the Beis HaMikdash, 
there's a certain declaration a person had to say, a parsha you'd read if you're a home if you're the landowner. And part of the psukim is you would say, You say, I'm bringing from the first fruits that you gave me, from the land that you gave me. And you can only declare that if you're the landowner. So the question here, the machlokas is, if you own the fruits, are you the landowner and you can make the declaration or not? Says the Gemara, Itmar. If somebody sells his land for fruit purposes, meaning, Rashi explains, he sells it to another Jew so that for 10 years that Jew can enjoy the fruits, but he doesn't own the land necessarily. Rashi says this would have to be after Yovel had stopped, which Rashi learns is after Sancher of exile, the first of the levels of exile, which were the tribes of Reuven God and, and uh, the people on Transjordan, the Jews on Transjordan, which stopped the mitzvah of Yovel. And therefore, after that point, if you would sell, so it would be a proper sale that wouldn't go back, unless you stipulated, I'm only selling this for fruits for 10 years. So what's the halacha in this case? Rabbi Yochanan Omar, maybe Vikur. Rabbi Yochanan says, you'd bring Bikurim still and read the Parshas Bikurim. Reish Lakish Omar, maybe Ve'eno Kore. So the one who's renting it, theoretically, he brings the fruits of the Bikurim, but he does not read Parshas Bikurim. Rabbi Yochanan Omar, maybe Vikur. Rabbi Yochanan says, you bring the fruits and you read Parshas Bikurim, because he holds Kenyan Peros, Kenyan Aguftami. He holds owning the, the fruits is like owning a land. So you could say, from the from the first of the fruits of the land that you gave me. Rish says, you cannot read the Parshas Bikurim because Kenyan Peros Lavke Kenyan Aguftami. Because owning the fruits is not like owning the actual land, so you cannot make that declaration. We're going to have two versions of this question that will go both ways. Rabbi Yochanan posited a question against Reish Lakish. The Pasuk tells us, Secha, that it says, also for your house. Now, when it says also for your house regarding Bikurim, Generally, bias, we assume, refers to your wife. So, Malami, this teaches us, So, Rabbi Yochanan said to Reish Lakish, you see, the Pasuk tells us, Beisecha, and it means that if a person's wife brings a land into the marriage, which means that she brings in Nechse Melug, now, Nechse Melug, the halacha is that the husband can enjoy the fruits, but he doesn't own the land. You still read Parshas Bikurim, says the Gemara, based on that drasha. So, you see, even though you only own the fruits, you're considered the homeowner, and you could be Kore. So, Amr Lakish said back, that's exactly my proof. Because Shani Hasam the only reason you bring those fruits is because the Pasuk tells you outright a special inclusion that you bring the fruits of the lands that your wife brings into the marriage. But that implies in general, if you only own the fruits, you're not considered the landowner. Now that we go the other way too. The Ika da there's another version of this conversation which goes the other way. Pasuk says you bring the fruits of the lands owned by your wife, which is Nechse that a person brings Bikurim from the lands that his wife brings into the marriage. So the Gemara says, That's only because there's a Pasuk that includes you bring those fruits for Bikurim. But the implication is, in general, if you own the fruits of a land and not the land itself, you wouldn't be Bikurim. That's actually my source. Since you see over there that ownership of the fruits is like ownership of the land, that's I, I learned that in general would be the halacha as well. Final question of the day. The Bryce says if somebody was traveling on the way, and a person had the fruits of his wife in his hand, so meaning a person was traveling to base the base on Mikdash, and he was traveling with the Bikurim that came from the land owned by his wife. And he heard that his wife had passed away. He has to bring Bikurim, and he still reads Parsha Bikurim. So the Gemara says, What do you see? 
Mesa in. It's only when he heard that his wife passed away, the implication is that he reads the parish of Bikurim because when his wife passes away, he inherits her and now he owns the land. But what does that imply? Lo Mesa lo. That implies that if she hadn't passed away, he was only owning the fruits and not the land, he would not read Parshas Bikurim. But according to Rabbi Yochanan, owning the fruits is like owning the land. So it's a question against Rabbi Yochanan. So the Gemara answers, Rabbi Yochanan would respond to that as follows. And really it could be even if she hadn't passed away. He would still be read the parsha of Bikurim. The Chiddush is, even though she passed away, he would still read the parsha of Bikurim. Because you may have thought to say, that there should be a Gezeira because of a Psaq of Rabbi Yossi Barchanina. If a person picked the produce and he put it in the hands of a messenger to bring to Yerushalayim, to, to, to bring Bikurim to Yerushalayim, and the Shliach passed away on the way, so if the owner goes and picks up those fruits, he would bring them to Yerushalayim, but he would not read Parshas Bikurim. Now, why wouldn't he read Parshas Bikurim? Because it says, you take it and you bring it. It has to be that when you're bring, taking it, it and you're bringing it, it's all done by one individual. But if there's a change in status of ownership midway, i.e., he gave it to a shliach, the shliach died, and then he brought the sh- fruits himself to Yerushalayim, he would not read Parshas Bikurim. So you might think the same thing exists here. Since originally he wasn't the landowner, he was only the fruit owner, you might think when the wife passes away, after the fact, he doesn't read Parshas Bikurim. So Kamash Malan says Rabbi Yochanan, since originally owning the fruits is like owning the land, there's really no change in ownership, and therefore you will still read Parshas just be Kurim. So we're going to stop here. Bottom of Zion Mudbez. Bez Hashem will pick up tomorrow with Daf Mem Ches. Everybody have a wonderful day.